According to Callus, this is episode 215, and we're picking up with the Texas Republican Party 2022 platform. Yes, just like I promised, it's coming, it's here. So, I think it'd be safe to say, before I go in this, that I should probably construct a little introduction. So let me just tell you, uh, I have been a good Republican, by my own definition, I guess, technically, but a good Republican for at least the last 10 years. Indeed, I went to my first state convention in 2014 uh, with my eldest daughter and I. Uh, She's been very active in the pro-life movement, and I think that she would be quite happy with what we were doing able to accomplish on the platform committee. That being said, I have been to the next four. Now that uh, the Houston one is done conventions. And I will tell you that I have interacted and met many elected officials. I will tell you that I have also come to the conclusion that people that came out of, let's call it a libertarian mindset, a liberty mindset, even a federalism mindset, I think make excellent Republicans. Why do I say that? Well, to be clear, there are not many people that make excellent Republicans because Particularly when you have nearly 300 planks of which you're supposed to be in general agreement with, that creates some friction and problems. We have the, I guess, 10 principles at the beginning, which many people I know claim are the only things that are very binding. And according to our own rules, that is the 10 things that we can hold you accountable for. But when you come out of a liberty, libertarian, federalist uh, mindset, you also tend to be more guarded when giving government things to do, questioning of whether or not they're actually going to get a result that we would be happy with. That does come into play later on in this conversation, I'm sure. But having been a self-described libertarian for the better part of my adult life and altering that mindset based upon the realization that if I want to get things done, if I want to defend liberty, if I want to be effective, I have to do it within the Republican Party. It required me to understand that most Republicans probably don't even know what they believe or what they stand for or what the principles are. Indeed, I kind of transitioned while I was in the Tea Party, if you will, or the Tea Party transitioned me, if you will. We had five principles. One of them was limited government. Well, the libertarian answer is the most limited government is no government. Well, that's true, and that sounds great on paper, or as a friend of mine says, that's a great bumper sticker, but in reality, it just doesn't work. And 
when you talk about the rule of law, there's a huge gaping hole there because we have many, many judges that just literally make stuff up as they go along. They, they don't feel bound by the Constitution. In fact, they defer to precedent. Well, when somebody makes a mistake or creates a problem, if you don't fix it and fix it immediately, it just compounds and gets worse and worse. Kind of like Griswold v. Connecticut, for instance. Just as an example, when the Supreme Court got something wrong. Or, oh, I know Chris Hayne Hall has mentioned a few of them over the years, uh, particularly the one who, I guess the name is escaping me at the moment, where you could detain indefinitely people of Japanese descent because you were afraid of them. That's still a, an opinion that's not been overturned. You could look at maybe Plessy Ferguson. There's there's any number of bad cases that because we're tying ourselves to precedent, we don't fix the problem. We don't go back to the principles. We don't go back to right and wrong. Now, the Republican Party is far from innocent in this. In fact, we were born out of a guy that ultimately subjugated half of a country and allowed for military dictatorship. Now, you could say what you want. The guy was killed before much of that came to fruition. But the subjugation that he allowed and encouraged because he wanted to, quote, save the union doesn't excuse the behavior. In fact, it kind of birthed the progressive movement of which we are still paying the consequences of today. But the modern Republican Party has looked back even further to Jefferson, even to some of the Jacksonian mindsets and realized that the idea of we holding certain truths self-evident that pre-existing rights being acknowledged by a government doesn't necessarily have to be obscured because of idolizing one individual or several individuals. Indeed, I have challenges when we throw everything back to the founders. I mean, the founders built upon something. There was pre-existing knowledge, pre-existing thoughts. Where did they get it from? Some would say it came primarily from the Bible. Some would say, no, no, it was more from the Old Testament writings. So therefore it's the Torah. There are some that say, well, you know, it came out of a growth of the Protestant reformers. We've talked about them many, many times. Some would say that it came out of, you know, Greek and uh, Hebrew uh, government studies or even Roman way things they did thing or the way they had done things in Rome. I think it'd be fair to say all of the above is true. And it got distilled down to some principles, some ideas and the Declaration of Independence was a very high and lofty document, much like those bumper stickers. It sounds great, but actually pulling that off is a challenge. Indeed, I got to hear about how the Articles of Confederation was a mistake. The Articles of Confederation needed to be redone. In fact, we were God-ordained to have our Constitution and we had to dismiss the Articles of Confederation. Now, I don't know that I buy 
the idea that the Constitution was God-inspired in the same way that the Bible was. And, and anybody that would say that, boy, I would want to check them for blasphemy. But to say that they were inspired by God on a different level, okay, fine, maybe. Okay, to say that there was divine inspiration in some of the application, okay, fine, maybe. I wasn't there. None of us were there. We don't really know what happened other than by the writings and the arguments that went back and forth in the papers and the periodicals and the discussions about ratification. But what I do know is where we're at right now and where we're at right now in 2022 is the current party that I belong to. The Republican Party of Texas has 10 principles. They are the undergirding establishment of the platform. They are the things that we can hold our elected officials accountable for. These are the things that we can use as a guidestone for our candidates. So let's start from the top. The laws of nature and nature's God. We support the strict adherence to the original language and intent of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitutions of the United States and Texas. So, again, Declaration of Independence sounds great. Very, very great sentiment in there, but as a practical document, we defer to the Articles of Confederation. I think that that process was... Mm, perhaps suspect, but we did get a great argue, or a great outcome, if you will, out of our own constitution. And certainly the Texas constitution, even though it's been amended ad infinitum, is a pretty solid document too. Indeed, we reference that in later on in the uh, document here. Number two. Principle two, if you will, the sanctity of innocent human life created in the image of God, which should be equally protected from fertilization to natural death. Pretty straightforward. Devout uh, Jews, and I believe all Christians can agree, fertilization is the beginning of life and natural death is just that. Pretty safe. Number three, and I had previously references, is perverse, uh, pre, preserving, wow, preserving individual Texan and American sovereignty and freedom. Again, would think that's not very difficult to explain, and it's pretty self-explanatory, and it's an undergirding issue, right? We should all understand what's going on play there. And number four, other principles, limiting government power to those items enumerated in the United States and Texas constitutions. Okay, now we're going back to the enumerated powers. So if we didn't delegate that authority or power to the United States government, they don't have it. Likewise, the Texas government is supposed to derive its power from the constitution. Now, number five is personal accountability and responsibility. This is directly related to those same principles that we had within the Tea Party. Number six, self-sufficient families founded on 
the traditional marriage of a natural man and a natural woman. Now, I would say 30 years ago, we would have just said self-sufficient families founded on the traditional marriage. But apparently now people can't tell if they're a boy or a girl, if they're even human, and whether or not they like boys or girls. And I use that as a euphemism for man or woman. Get over yourselves, people. Because there are actual perverted people that are grown adults that are attracted to minors. The outcome of that would not be pretty if it was my daughter or granddaughter for said individual. But be that as it may, uh, self-sufficient. What does that mean? That means you're supposed to be able to take care of yourself, look out for yourself. Well, that's really difficult as an individual. However, this is where we get into the idea of an extended family or a community or perhaps even a church. And they can help each other and build each other to the idea where they're self-sufficient. This is a goal of which our principles are undergirding, right? Number seven, having an educated population with parents having the freedom of choice for the education of their children. Okay, now we're getting a little interesting here. The principles we want the population educated. Do you really think that anybody that goes to a government education camp is actually getting educated? Perhaps programmed, perhaps indoctrinated, but educated, I have my doubts. Now, the freedom of choice and education of their children is a nice ad. Sad that it had to be put there because apparently our government schools don't actually do the job by and large anymore. And keep in mind, everything that I'm saying is a generalization. So yes, I'm aware there are snowflakes out there and there are exceptions to the rules. That's fine. But as a general rule, they're really not getting what they need in the government schools. And they're really not being taught what we would expect them to be taught. So... I mean, it's solid. It's there. I I don't have any real disagreement with it. I perhaps tweak it at some point in the future. Number eight, the inalienable right of all people to defend themselves and their property. Wow. The right of self-preservation. Defend themselves from what? From whom? Good questions. But it's left vague on purpose, I believe, because much like the oath I took, to defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, I would imagine that your inalienable right to defend yourself is from all enemies, foreign and domestic. I would imagine that that is what the intent was in that writing. And if that's the case, kudos to them. Well done. Now, number nine becomes a little, also requiring a little extra thought here. A free enterprise society unencumbered by government interference or subsidies what's a free enterprise society free transactions of business between other people without government interference but if we believe this there's a whole lot of planks and a whole lot of laws that need to go away unencumbered by government interference or subsidies again so many things violate this principle that are in our planks And I really wish people would take the time to consider the outcome of a plank that they're inserting and does it conflict with our principles. And I would suggest to you that there are a good many that do. And I might just have to bring those up when the time comes. But the reality is, 
as an individual, as a thinking individual, we sometimes have conflicting ideas or what you might call an exception to the rule. Yes, we don't want government interference or subsidies except for this couple things here because of this, this, and this. One example I might give, we'll call it the National Sovereignty Clause. So yes, while it might be theoretically cheaper to get certain minerals from China exported here, they also have us by the neck and can control what we can do if, or produce or behave if we don't receive such items, such minerals. So we have to produce our own. We have to find our own. We have to source our own. That might mean that we have to subsidize it for a while. That may mean that we have to interfere with some kind of um, tariff to protect a natural growth of a local entity that able to, to produce said uh, products. It's not ideal, but we'll call it the exception. It's not fitting with what the true intent of the principle is, but it's what is necessary to protect our country. And number 10, and I almost think this is a bit of a flow, a throwaway principle here. I'm really conflicted when I look at this. I mean, not that I disagree with it, but it kind of seems as a non sequitur. Honoring all those that serve and protect our freedom. Who is that? Who serves and protects? The police? The second responders are really good about, I don't know, cleaning up afterwards. They do a real good job of enforcing the law when they see fit, when it's applicable. Now, I know, I know there's lots of good cops out there and they're all doing a great job and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm not trying to be difficult here. I'm just saying, as a principle, yeah, we expect the second responders to wear their badge and protect our liberty, to serve the public. That, that's the expectation. That's the desire. But as a reality, that's not really what we get. Not across the board. Again, this is a generalization. I'm not trying to sweepingly judge them all, but we got to look at the big picture here. Do you really think that Dallas feels served or protected right now? Or Houston? Or God forbid you go to some other big city in another state? And what freedoms are they protecting? I mean, they're protecting order. They're working off the idea of the rule of law. I mean, I guess those are all good, respectable things, but that's not freedom. Now, if you want to say we're referring to the military or the Coast Guard here, okay, that's fine. I, I, I buy that. But are we honoring them by sending them off to the latest military conflict without a congressional declaration of war? Are we serving and honoring them by, oh, I don't know, making them go serve far beyond their term, making them uh, stay on when their term is over? Uh, I think they called it stopgap. Are we honoring them? I, I don't think so. Let me ask you a question. If you sign a contract and one side can unilaterally violate the contract 
What good is that contract? Better yet, if you sign yourself up for a form of involuntary servitude, right? I mean, you're turning your life over for a period of time. I did it for two years, and then I did an extra year in the reserves. Other people do it for eight, 20 years. But if they lay out certain promises, if they tell you what you're going to be able to do, I mean, yeah, sometimes things change for national defense. I get that. But realistically, since World War II, can we say there's been a legitimate threat that necessitated forcing people to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do? I'm not there. I don't know how that's honoring them. I don't know how we honor veterans when they come home, when we mistreat them and we put them on the short list for people that need to be red flagged, when we determine that they can't be trusted in society, when our society is the reason why they're in the situation that they're at. The undeclared wars that we have them serve in create internal conflict that they have to work years to get past in some cases. I mean, I look back to my grandfather's generation and all those guys, they went to World War II and maybe some of them went to Korea or, I mean, depending on how old you are, I mean, your grandfather might have been in World War One. There was a clear thing going on there. They did a much better job with their propaganda. But the war was over. Those people rode a boat home and they transitioned and they were had the camaraderie with their friends, their family, but more so the people that served alongside them that understood what they went through. I mean, you had your VFWs, you had your um, legions, right? These guys had each other because, man, I can only guess, I can only imagine what a good number of those people went through. That's not something you come home and tell your wife about. That's not something you want to discuss with your kids or even your grandkids. Now, I distinctly remember my wife's grandfather telling stories of his time and during World War II. And almost all of them were fun stories. They were, they were funny little anecdotes or vignettes, if you will, of interactions between other people or things that happened. But I can imagine having served in the Pacific Theater during World War II, we saw a lot of really bad stuff. I mean, even even if he wasn't on the front lines, he, he saw and heard things that people aren't normally geared to understand or deal with. But I never heard him talk about those things. Now, maybe he talked to his own sons after they became vets and did their own things, you know, they're in their service. Or maybe he talked to his brothers in arms or cousins or whatever else that served because they have that camaraderie there. But again, how are we honoring them if we're distrusting them, if we're looking down upon them, if we're not looking after their needs and taking care of their families and we're sending them off to places to die or fight with no clear direction. That's not very honoring. The Republican Party of Texas says we can do better. I want to believe that. I really do. I think we can do that. But that's not what's happening now. And that, for me, that's a big deal. I mean, and if we get back to the second responders, I mean, some of you are looking at that as a pejorative. But no, it's a fact. If you're in an altercation, if you're in an accident, if you're in 
some kind of incident where your life's in danger, you're there. You're your own first responder. You are the true first responder. That does not negate the importance of those people that come second. That does not overlook what they bring that you possibly don't have. In fact, the vast majority of us don't have the things that we need in those crazy situations. So we show them proper honor, whether they work in the fire department or fire rescue or whatever they call it now. They're paramedics, they're firefighters, they're EMTs, or they're just law enforcement, whether they're sheriff's deputies, constables, or police officers. Those guys show up when stuff's going on. They are supposed to put themselves in between the danger and you. And I find it really challenging to show honor to the people that were in Uvalde of all places. And, and, I, and I don't want to necessarily tread into that mess, but those guys clearly didn't do their job. They clearly were not first or second responders. In fact, the family members came there to rescue their family and those people were detained. Those people were handcuffed. Those people were restrained. Those people were mistreated. And one wonders, what is it that they were doing for the hour plus they refused to do the job that they swore an oath to do? And I got to tell you, I'm hard pressed to see how those people can possibly keep their jobs after what they did or go to another location to work in the same line of work. They need to be run out on a rail. They need to be called the embarrassment that they are. Now, I'm sure some of those people are good people and they wanted to do the right thing and they were just following orders. But it seems to me we've heard that before. The whole idea of just following orders. Are they following their oath? Are they honoring the people that they're supposed to be serving if they're just following orders? I would suggest to you they're not. I would suggest to you that they're the problem. And when we look at all of these principles that we have, this is the one that's, I guess, means the most, but has the most challenges as well. Now, I talked about number nine, the free enterprise, and uh, I mean, that's not without its own challenges, but those can be easily dealt with. And it's number 10 here. This is the one that requires a lot of work, a lot of effort. We have to come up with a better solution than what we've been doing. We have to understand that you are your own first responder. At some point in the next couple of months, I hope to arrange an interview with a guy called the Barefoot Defender. That's his show. If you are so interested, go look him up. Check it out on Google. This is a guy I ran across at the Republican State Convention. And when he started telling me the story, it didn't, first of all, it didn't dawn on me that he was the guy in the story until a couple minutes in because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have gone on lately and I just did not remember the story. But as he started to tell it, it clicked and I was embarrassed that I'd forgotten. But as he was telling the story, never ever did he disparage or talk down about law enforcement. He said they got there as quickly as they can. And when seconds matter, the police are only a few minutes away. You're there. You're your own first responder. 
This is pretty much what our discussion centered on. You're your own first responder. Mike, my mind immediately kicked into why, why is there been this big bush, this big, big push to label everybody with a badge or everybody that serves as the first responder. Now it's an honorific. Yes. But I wonder if it isn't also directly related to the idea that they don't want you. And when I say they, I mean government. They don't want you to be your own first responder. They want to perpetuate the idea that you are dependent on somebody else. They want to keep you in a defenseless, helpless mindset that you need to depend on that government entity showing up and bailing you out. First responder. Think about it. And again, I mean no disrespect to those guys and ladies that actually do a really good job. They have our backs. They do what needs to be done. But all too often, they're painted with a broad brush of their brethren that do a bad job. And I'm trying really hard to avoid doing that. But those same people are responsible for their brethren that don't do their job, that don't follow the oath. And they are the ones that need to run them out. And they don't. That's a question. That's a problem. But they are the ones that need to address it. So I'm coming up to the end here. I've covered the 10 principles. I've given you an idea of where we're going next. This is, according to Callus, this is the second episode back, number 215. We're going to call it RPT 2022 Principles. And I will see you on the other side.